Now, today is Sinner Sunday. Do you know what's the theme? Do you know what's the theme? For Sinner? Don't know. <laughs> okay, anybody? Shout out theme. No? Strengthening? Faith? Strengthening? Family. Praise God. Now, how do we strengthen faith and strengthen family? Now, this morning text will tell us by walking in the Spirit. By walking in the Spirit. But how do we do that? You know, um, the, the, the theme of the worship, I think, was designed along a God as a creator. Now, if God is a creator and we are designed by Him, shouldn't we turn to His Word to find from the Maker's Manual how He wants us to strengthen our faith and our family. And this morning, this is what we are doing. We are coming to the text this morning from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Right? You have read chapter 1. That gives us the context for what we are going to hear this morning. So if you have a Bible, which I hope you have, all right, keep your Bible open all right, in chapter 5 because I'm going to make reference to it. As I point to you, you can just look down and double-check for yourself that I'm speaking from the Word of God. Okay? Now, um, imagine, all right, I'm going to just uh, start this sermon. That, that was just a kind of a, a brief intro, but I, I want to just ask you to imagine, right, with me. Now, if, imagine a car uh, that was just uh, being given a quick check and then this uh, very amused mechanic said to the owner, hey, your car is normal. It's not running because your tank is empty. Now, of course, real drivers on the road won't be that silly. Yet, in life, brothers and sisters, many are running on the empty. Or worse, we fill our things with the wrong fuel, leaving us not just empty, but miserable and damaged. You know, just this week, very sadly, Coco Lee, an internationally accomplished singer, married to a billionaire, ended her own life. And she's only 48. And there are many out there who are suffering the endless pain of a depressive life in our sin broken world. And death is not the solution. Neither is it an answer or an escape. Without Jesus, death will only lead a person into an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth that Jesus has so often warns us of in the Gospels. And that's the reason why Jesus came. That He came to live and die and was risen again on our behalf. And He promised that He's coming back for us to tell us that this life is not our destination but a preparation for the next. And He's given us a new life and called us to live in a new and living way. And the first place He wants us to live out this new life is in the family, in our homes. And brothers and sisters, God has given us His provision. 
His provision, His fuel for us to live this life in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we consider how to strengthen faith and family, the text this morning directs us right, into the relationship of a husband and wife as prime example and demonstration of the gospel of how we can walk a spirit-filled life. You know, Paul likes to talk about the principles and then he goes into the specific concrete example. And this morning, right, he uses the example of a husband and wife to show us how to live a spirit-filled life, how to walk in the spirit. So how do we do that? Well, the first truth I want to bring to you this morning, I don't have the slides, but you have the outline uh, given to you. There is from verse 15 to verse 24. It's a call for us to walk in spirit-filled submission. To walk in spirit-filled submission modelled by the wife, the example of the wife. No, I, I know we live in a world where uh, we value gender equality and individual rights, right? So many of us kind of feel embarrassed or perhaps even offended or puzzled. Why Paul asked the wife to submit to the husband? Of course, some of us try to get around it by saying, oh, really, he's focusing on verse 21, you know, mutual submission to one another. Uh, what's mutual submission? Now, so we try to get around the elephant in the room. Now, Paul was talking about three sets of family relationships in his time. The husband-wife, parent-child, slave-master relationships. Now, Paul, you realise he didn't ask parents to submit to the children. Neither did he ask masters to submit to the slaves. If that's what he meant, he would have said so, wouldn't he? So likewise, he didn't ask husbands to submit to the wife, but wife to the husband. So if we were to reverse that, the question is, will then we be distorting or even missing the message that he is saying to us? Now, it won't do also to say that, hey, um, this is a time-bound instruction. Some scholars will say that, and it's really limited to the patriarchal society of Paul's times. And the reason so is because you look at verse 25. Wow, very good, a lot of you look down. Verse 27 and verse 31. All right, Paul grounds his instruction on marriage in first the creation. That's verse 31. Second, in redemption. That's verse 22. And third, he alluded to the new creation, to the consummation of all things when you shall be presented before Christ holy and blameless. He talked about it in chapter 1. And that's in verse 27. He's referring to the consummation of all things. Now, something important is going on here. He realized that this is the entire salvation history that transcends any given culture. That when Paul talks about Verse, in verse 31, he talks about 
um, the creation, the first marriage that God has ordained Adam and Eve, it tells us that God has Christ and the church in mind when He ordained the first marriage. And then we look at verse 27, alluded to the wedding supper of the Lamb that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 19 to 21. Brothers and sisters, Paul grounds his instruction in the grand narrative of the entire Bible of what God is doing or will be doing from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That this pertains to the will of God in His eternal counsel. Then, we, alright, how can, I mean, if, if, if we misread it, distort it, disregard it, or violate it, or reason it away, won't we be doing these things to our own detriment? So what is the mutual submission Paul is talking about in verse 21? Well, that has to be understood in the light of his call for us to be filled with his Holy Spirit in verse 18. Now, verse 18 to verse 21 is actually one sentence in the Greek. Right? And what comes before was, of course, verse 16 and 17, telling us that to begin walking the Spirit, we must understand the will of God because the days are evil. That we must understand the will of God in order to walk in step with the Spirit. Now, what is the will of God? Well, a lot of us, when you say the will of God, you think of mm, the singers may think, oh, who does God want me to marry? Right? If I'm out of job, oh, or I'm looking for a job, what is the next job that God has for me? Or uh, where should I go for my next holiday? Well, valid as they are. If you look into the book of Ephesians, the will of God is stated for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Right, that it is a summing up of which I mean you have read it's a summing up of all things, things in heaven and things on earth, under one head, under the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 22 and 23 of chapter 1 and chapter 4, verse 10 tells us that so that everything right might come under Christ, that Christ may feel everything in every way. And how is God going to accomplish his will? He does it through the church. He merges the church into the fullness of Christ so that at the end of all things, Christ may rule over all things, including the church. Right, you find that in chapter 3, verse 19, chapter 4, verse 13. Now, this is a fulfillment of a psalm or many of the Psalms, but one of them that Christ always quoted is Psalm 110. Right? The, Lord said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit, and, uh, sit at my right hand. Now in that Psalm, it says that God's people will be His willing subject on the day of His power. This is about the reign of Jesus Christ. And that reign, Ephesians tells us, has already been inaugurated through the death and resurrection and the ascension of our Lord Jesus. And that 
reign has already been inaugurated. God has installed His King. And Ephesians 2.22 tells us that therefore the church is now His new temple. The filling of the Holy Spirit is God coming to His temple. God doing a work in your life and my life so that we can be transformed into the fullness of Christ. Actually, legally, we already possess that fullness of Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 tells us when, when we are raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenlies. But yet, in our experience, in our walk now, the Holy Spirit is doing that work in your life and in my life, forming and transforming us. And that is with the end in mind. All right? That the fullness of Christ in us, the likeness of Christ, the character of Christ in us might be fully realized and might be right, magnificently manifested before the universe at the end of the age when Jesus Christ returns. And brothers and sisters, that is the blessings that we have in Christ that you've read just now. Right? That this is our birthright to be filled with the Spirit. And it points to the glorious inheritance that we have in Jesus. And this is our Christian hope. So the text today is telling us how Christ fills the church. Right? Through the home. Right? We see Christ fills the church, not a fill the universe. But He starts by filling the home. The home is the bridgehead, if you would like to put it that way. Whereby God exercises His rule all right, to fully and finally fill the whole new heaven and new earth. So when we talk of mutual submission, it has got to do with our commitment to support our God-given role in the body of Christ. The role that God has given to each of us, to each other, and within the family, to the husbands and wives, to the end that God has in mind. Right? So that it's not about us, it's about the reign of Christ. And that reign begins at home, in the family. So brothers and sisters, we are not to read this text with our own ideas, with the cultural ideas, or with our preference for gender equality or individual rights. But we are to read it in the light of God's will for the church to live under the headship of Christ. Now, explaining this to you because this is important for us to understand the meaning of headship of the husband. That the headship of husband then carries with it a God-given mandate. A God-given mandate because he represents and is a leader of the family. He has a mandate from God to lead the family to come under the headship of Christ. And when the wife is called to submit to her husband, she's called to recognize this sacred, all-important mission that God has given to the husband. So that when the husband stray away from that mission, forget that mission, she is to pray for him, remind him, and seek to bring him back. Because her true head is the Lord Jesus. Her role then is to support her husband, to nudge him, to cheer him, to help him lead the family towards Christ. And that is the mission 
Her mission is to help the husband accomplish not his own dreams and ambition, but that her family, the family, will come under the will of God. And that is what it means and how she submits to the husband in everything, so that in everything, the will of God may be accomplished for the family, for her family. And this is her driving, her foremost driving concern and agenda. So she submits to her husband by saying Amen when the husband pray, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Brothers and sisters, this is the Great Commission. The Great Commission of bringing all nations under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. And the church, therefore, is a gathering of individuals, families, and nations under one head. For there's one body, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So the wife walk in spirit-filled submission is to model and to represent, to align with the church submission to the headship of Christ so that the family will also become or will be or is aligned to God's will as the basic discipling unit of the church. So the book of Ephesians, when you talk about the headship of Christ, it is really talking about our ascended Christ, His sovereign, absolute sovereignty and His supreme authority that summons the devotion, the love and the reverence of His people. I tremble to think of anything lesser or to ascribe anything lesser than what the Word of God has presented. And amazingly, how did Christ use this supreme authority that He has? The Word tells us He used it, He expressed it through His sacrifice, through His love to serve us by dying for us. And surprisingly, you know, Paul named the wife first. I scratched my head and said, hey, you know, if you look at the Greek, the imperative is on the word love, right? Uh, the word submit is actually a participle. It's a background term. But you see, God speak, even though the husband he speak to the wife first. He give the wife the first place of honour. Right, and that is really something contrary to the patriarchal society of the days. The wife is not seen and not heard. But here the wife is mentioned. She is given the first place of honour to model for the church what it means to submit to Christ. And what all this means is this, sisters, that if you are married to a husband, that it is for you to drop your little projects of trying to change your husband into your likeness so that he'll do your will and build your kingdom. Then it is not, not about 
nagging him, forcing, manipulating him through your anger, your tantrum, your sarcasm, on your contempt when he fails to do what you wish. That instead, that you are to speak the truth at the right moment from a heart of wisdom and character that reveres and resembles Christ. And this is what you are called to do. All right. At the same time, recognizing both your responsibility and your finitude, that it is the prerogative and the power of the Holy Spirit to change your husband. You are not the Holy Spirit. So that you pray fervently for him. At the same time, you look for opportunities to share your concern and leave God to work. And you do so with a humble and a gentle spirit. And by so doing, you model for your children and for other believers how to face uncertainties and evil days with faith and fortitude. And amazingly, this gentle spirit is the spirit of Christ. It's a spirit that God highly esteemed because it's a spirit demonstrated by Christ when He yielded His life fully to God the Father until death even death on the cross. And the big question is, how can we be like Christ? You know, given our fallenness and given the fallenness of our family, our children, our husbands, it's difficult. How do we walk in the spirit, in spirit of submission? Well, I want to talk more about this question, alright? When we dive into the next segment, right? As we consider the role of the husband, because the husband is also given a charge, and his charge is even a taller charge. And he's equally fallen. All right. So what's the role of the husband? Now, but before I go into that, I want to qualify this, that the word here applies to, I mean, if, if, if you have an abusive husband, physically abusive, then wife, for safety, separate yourself and your children from him as you seek for help. Okay? That is just something I need to qualify. But then what's the call of the husband? Well, look at the next segment of the text from verse 25 all the way to verse 33. Verse 25 to verse 33. It's a call to walk in spirit-filled service, molded by the husband. It's a call to walk in spirit-filled service. Now, this segment is by verse 25 and verse 33 and in these two verses there's that repeated imperative the Greek imperative you know love your wife now this is where the punchline is alright this is is more highlighted in red if you read it in the Greek husband love your wife love your wife as Christ love the church the husband is to represent represent Christ. He's an ambassador of Christ to his wife and to his family. That he's there not to seek after his own interests. He's there not to, you know, his interest is not about a wife bringing back an income, bringing back some more money or, or, or that the wife please him. But that his interest, the word of God tells us, is about her sanctification, that she grows spiritually and become more holy that he is to put her interests in front of him. 
In fact, the way Paul writes would have kind of shocked the culture of his day. You know, with the words that he sees, washing her, presenting her spotless, without wrinkles. You know, washing and ironing, they were just menial, domestic tasks done only by the women in those days. What Paul is saying here is that nothing is beneath the husband, even household chores, if they help the wife. And this is really in stark contrast to how the women were treated in those days. So imagine if a Christian husband in those days were to obey the word of God, brothers and sisters, his wife would be the envy of her neighbours. And it will be a powerful display of the gospel. Well, but of course in real life we know that, you know, it's difficult. The husband oftentimes will forget he is a sinner. I mean, like us, you see, easily we become judgmental. We are impatient. We are unforgiving. We keep a, a record of wrong so that we can justify our bad behaviour. We want to be served. We don't like inconveniences. And that's not because we, we try to be difficult, uh, uh, we, we try to make ourselves difficult to live with. No. I mean, it's just our reflexes. But nonetheless, they are self-centered and sinful. So the question here is, this how can a husband, instead of fighting for his own, looking out for his own personal happiness and comfort, his satisfaction and ego, how can he lead and serve the wife? How can he love the wife and be a support she can lean on, that she can trust? How can he set the spiritual tone for the family, to lead the family in worship and devotion to Christ as verse 19 and 20 calls him to? Well, it is not easy, right? when we have to wrestle with our own fallen self and, you know, sometimes you have a quarrel and you want to stand and lead your family in devotion, it's hard, all right? You feel like a hypocrite. So, what do you do? Brothers and sisters, the answer is found in the rescue of the cross. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, this is an echo or a repetition of what? Paul has already told us in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Brothers and sisters, do you hear the gospel? Do you hear the gospel there? That Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The implication is this, brothers and sisters that the source, the primary source of love is not found in ourselves. It's not found in our spouses, whether they are lovely or they are loathsome. It's found in Jesus. You know, we will fail. Our spouses will fail. They will fail us. But Jesus will never fail. Only in Jesus can we find a love that will never fail. 
And the question is, how then do we receive this love and walk in it? Through our failures, through our weaknesses, presence. This is when you fail, when you, the husband, when you fail your spouse, wrong your spouse, or, or for that matter, when you wrong anybody, right? Don't run to your computer or, 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 or go shopping or, or, or go to the bar and you know, just drink and drunk yourself with wine. Run to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I have not loved my wife as you have loved me. Please forgive me. Because, brothers and sisters, it's only when it's only when we experience the grace of God and receive the forgiveness of God that our hearts will be humbled and primed to love, to forgive, and to ask for forgiveness. So even our lowest moment, our darkest moments, brothers and sisters, they can be gospel moments. They can be moments to help us experience, realize, and receive the grace of God and bear witness to the power of the gospel so that our failures, our inabilities, our desperation exposed by our marriages and our families and our homes are to draw us to Christ, to make Him our Lord and Saviour and even more so and ever more so. Yes, we are weak. I'm a weak husband. You are a weak wife or a weak sibling or children. But Christ is strong. Thank God. He is our strong saviour. And we need Jesus in our marriage, in our home. You know, Psalms 50 verse 15 says, God says, Call to me. I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. That's the promise. So the husband and wife role are gospel reminders for us to walk in spirit-filled submission and spirit-filled service by crowning Christ as Lord, wherever He has placed us. So it doesn't matter whether you are married, you are single, you are divorced. The gospel is for all and calls for our appropriate response to the Lordship of Christ. So if you are single, you are looking for a spouse, Brothers and sisters, won't this truth encourage you to find one who will walk with you under the headship of Christ? Otherwise, be wise. Choose to wait on the Lord. He will spare you from many evil days. For the rest of us, will you not want to make the most out of your life as verse 16 call us to? And this is a call for us to come before the Lord, to ask Him to help us. You know, to walk in the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit of Christ and you will produce a spirit and a character of gentleness, highly esteemed by God, pleasing to Him, bring Him glory and it will be a blessing to your family. You will strengthen your family. Will you not turn to the Lord and ask Him to fill your tank? Fill your tank with His Spirit, with His love, and with His promises to strengthen your faith, 
and your family. Shall we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we want to give you thanks for your word to us. Father, we praise you for giving to us our Lord Jesus and call us to walk in the likeness of who he is. We thank you that you created us, men and women. You already have this plan designed for us that we will be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ within the family. We pray, Father, that you help us to build strong faith and strong family, not just within the Presbyterian churches, but within, among the churches in Singapore, that, God, we can be a witness that bears your light and be the salt to our broken world. Father, thank you. Help us to look to you, to cling to Jesus. Hear our cries, have Christ, and have mercy on us when we come to you. Help us. This we pray and ask in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.